This is VLX number 72, My Burden is Light. We are in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. God give you his peace. In nomine patri sefili, spiritu sancti, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patri sefili, spiritu sancti, amen. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so before moving on to chapter 12, I want to look at this last section of Matthew chapter 11. I realize we already covered the heart of Jesus being meek and lowly, but there's too much to talk about at the end of Matthew 11 here, so we're going to do a little overlap, which is pretty unusual for the VLX series. So we're going to finish up Matthew 11 uh, right now in VLX 72, even though I thought VLX 71 was going to be the end of it. Today I'm going to give you some different Greek words, that are, which are pretty fascinating. And unless you have like a moral op opposition to this, feel free to write definitions that I give you above each English word or whatever language you're doing this in. Look in your Bible, and I think it's fine to write some different definitions above it. Don't cross out any words in your Bible, of course, but I think it's fine to write the Greek above it and or some of the uh, English definitions. I didn't have time to put up the Greek words on the screen. If you're doing the YouTube, couldn't write them out in the Cyrillic or the Latin script this time. But I'm going to try to give you some good definitions and synonyms for the original Greek that we have there. Okay, let's look at the first sentence. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Okay, let's look at those two adjectives, wise and understanding. The Dewey rhyme says wise and prudent. But now this should give you pause because these are actually virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So we have to say, well, are these bad? Having these, does it mean that you don't get to have the gospel revealed to you if you have uh, understanding and wisdom? No, of course not. Let's take a look at the, the words in Greek there. It's sophon and suneton. And my Greek dictionary includes definitions for these two. For sophon, we have clever, skillful, wise, and learned. And suneton, we have intelligent and wise. So I think we could translate this as clever and educated. That's how I might suggest this. That might be better than saying uh, wise, since that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we put in these definitions, and I don't mean to be changing the Bible, I'm just showing you we have different uh, synonyms for the Greek there. Uh, Jesus is not ripping on those being wise and prudent. So if we put in the two words I suggest, clever and educated, it would sound like this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the clever and educated and revealed them to little children. So, of course, Christ isn't ripping on being prudent since this is a, a virtue in the gospel. But what he is saying, here's the thing, catch this. What, is, what Christ is saying here is that the Pharisees are clever and educated while the apostles are childlike. Now, why is this important? It's because 
The reality of the gospel is for guys who put common sense before, say, canon law loopholes. So you see, and let's let's look at the other side of the coin. That there's another mistake people make. A lot of people think the apostles were just doofuses. I remember watching the movie Son of God, and I, you know, the director tries to make them so joyful they act like used car salesmen. So they're neither doofuses nor are they so shallow that their joy is like acting like used car salesmen. Um, we have to remember these men, even if they hadn't been chosen from the kind of child rabbi school as the tip top of the class, they probably had a good chunk of the Old Testament memorized. They were excellent fishermen and tax collectors. Like, they were pretty good at what they did. Um, but the point is, they don't play games with God. I think this is one of the reasons Jesus chose these men. You know, C.S. Lewis says we're supposed to have adult minds and children's hearts. But unfortunately, the Pharisees were a lot like postmodern men. They had children's minds, especially on important issues like history and theology, but adult hearts in being unforgiving and legalistic. So I think if you want to understand the gospel today, here's what I take from it. Being clever and educated like the Pharisees may not help you. I mean, and in fact, look how many PhDs out there can't change a tire, or even look how many medical doctors literally, I know that's an overused word among Gen Y and Z and now X, literally can't understand you do not kill unborn children. There's medical doctors and PhDs that don't get this. And so I love C.S. Lewis's definition. This is where this plays in here. You're supposed to have an adult mind and a children's heart, an adult mind that actually wants to pursue the truth on matters like theology and history, but a childlike heart that is quick to forgive. This is the hearts of the apostles, and this is why I believe Jesus chose them. And this is why he's glorifying God the Father. This is God the Son glorifying God the Father for these men, these apostles. And so he's showing us, if you listen to last VLX, what it takes to follow him, a heart that is meek and lowly, but also childlike. You know, um, children have a lot of energy. That doesn't mean being, um, you know, so... Uh, meek, you're afraid of your own shadow by any means. Um, these guys were uh, men of, as it says in Timothy, um, power, love, and self-control. So the Greek right there for reveal to little children is very interesting. It's kai apakalupsas autonepios. Kai apakalupsas autonepios. So the Greek there is a verb, apakalupsas, and this should of course remind you of the last book in the Bible, Apocalypse. That's just the noun version, apocalypsis. And as you know, this means the unveiling. Apocalypsis means unveiling is a noun, but today was a verb, apocalypsis, which is unveiled, revealed. And who is this revealed to? Revealed to children. The Latin today is a little bit easier to understand. Cui voluerit filius revelare. So cui just means who. Voluerit, will, you know, similar uh, infinitive in French, vouloir. Filius. Probably most of you can recognize that as the sun. And revelare, it's the root word of reveal. Cui voluere filius revelare. Who the sun wishes to reveal the Trinity to? And the answer is, is children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, so this isn't Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this idea that the gospel is only for a few super wise people. We just learned this isn't just for the clever and the educated. But your heart should leap and want to know, well, who are these ones that are chosen? How do I end up in that category of who the Son chooses to reveal the Father to? The Greek there is hoein bolute hohios apokalupsai. Now, you might notice that's the same, um, same verb there. I think that's the infinitive Right there, apocalypse. Once again, this is unveil. 
and you might have missed this. You know, sometimes we pass over the same word in our native language because you might have missed the fact the word reveal was twice in today's section. I certainly did until I was looking at the Greek. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, we just heard this verb. I, you know, I've read this Bible passage in English a um, hundred times. But then when I noticed this word apocalypsis was in there, I thought, oh, well, who does he want to reveal to? Well, it brings you right back in this little section to the very first time we heard the word apocalypsis unveil. And who is that to? Nepios, that is to children. So if you want to be in that group, it's to have, it's to be a child, an adult mind and a child's heart. Um, and then we have this line, and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And that is, of course, the napios. So again, that brings us right back to the first sentence. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Okay, let's look at the next line. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's look at the word heavy laden in Greek. And this is one of those words you can uh, maybe write above it in your Bible there. The word is kopiontes. If you want to spell it in the Latin font, not the Cyrillic, it's K-O-P-I-O-N-T-E-S. Kopiontes. I think that's a present participle. But in the verb form, it means to become tired, to become weary, and work hard. What came to me when I was doing my mental prayer on this, when I came to that word, I realized way too often, and, and I certainly think we Christians have to put the emphasis on heaven and hell a lot more than we are, um, but I think sometimes we make it almost as if if you live a hard life here for Jesus, you get heaven, and if you lead an easy life, you get hell. And there's certainly a huge truth in that. I don't mean to overturn that. But here's what's amazing. If you read the saints really closely, it's amazing that the Christian life, and let me say really quick before I get here, I don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, so don't take this out of context, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Christian life is actually easier on earth than the sinner's life. Yeah, we're all sinners. I mean like public sinners, grievously sinning. Um, the Christian life is easier on earth even before you get to the topic of heaven and hell than it is to be a major sinner. Um, we're going to see what Father Lapide has to say about that. He says, uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke and burden of Christ is the gospel, say Saints Hilary Bede and others. The law of the gospel, therefore, is a yoke because it binds us to discipline, lest anyone should depart from justice. The Greek is easy, easy, or in Latin, suave, not, not glucos, that's the Greek again, sweet like sugar. Oh, glucose, that's where we get glucose, actually. I'm reading the Greek font here. And if anyone speaks Spanish out there, you know, suave in Latin make you think sweet, but it's saying it's not glucose. Funny that that is um, the Greek right there, sweet like sugar, but rather Christos, beneficial, humane, peaceful, kind, in the Arabic good, in comparison with the old law. So Father Lapide is comparing the New Testament to the Old Testament. Um, again, we have this modern myth the Old Testament is harder, and I always tell you guys that actually everything in the New Testament is a higher moral level, but here we're going to see why the New Testament is lighter than the Old Testament. Again, the calling, the moral calling is higher, but because of the grace infused in the New Testament, it's actually easier. And this is what Father Lapidus says. First, because it has fewer and easier precepts. Second, because it gives greater grace, which much lightens the burden of the commandment. Third, because it rules us as sons, not by fear of servants. So we're sons, not servants in the New Testament versus the Old Testament, like the ancient law. 
Fourth, because it does not threaten nor bring in death like the old law, but takes it away. How beautiful is that? Let me read that again. New Testament versus Old Testament. Because the New Testament does not threaten nor bring in death like the old law, but takes it away. Fifth, because it promises to those who keep it the most happy life, and as it were, leads them by the hand to the eternal sweetness of celestial joys. According to the words, they shall be inebriated with the plenty of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the torrent of thy pleasure. Psalm 35, 9. This isn't to say that it's just going to be a walk in the park for a Christian. Father Lapi then quotes Romans 8, The sufferings of this time are not to be worthy the sufferings of this time are not to be worthy to be compared with the glory to come that shall be revealed in us. So ultimately, it really does culminate in a look at heaven and hell that, um, to put it in a very terse form, those who cause hell on earth are going to endure hell, and those who endure hell on earth for the gospel are going to endure heaven. Um, but already, there's a greater burden in the soul of the sinners here on earth than, than there is on those who are actually following Christ. And one more quick Greek definition in that sentence. We just heard heavy laden. The Greek there is perfortis menui, and that just means labored or burdened. So what does Jesus say he will do to those who come to him burdened and tired or labored? He says he will anapauso them. I want to write that in. It's A-N-A-P-A-U-S-O. That right there is the root word of our English pause. Anapauso them. How interesting that Jesus will come to pause you. Uh, the first person future was used in today's passage, but the first person present in my Greek dictionary is defined as I cause to rest, I cause to give rest, I refresh. How beautiful is that? That that is the definition right there. So the full sentence Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Father Lapide adds this to all of that. He says, moreover, to the proud and carnal, the yoke of Christ and the law of humility, abstinence, continence, mortification seems very heavy and intolerable because they are devoid of the spirit and only love and think of the flesh and fleshly things. Hence, St. Bernard says, Christ's yoke is a burden too and absolutely unbearable unless accompanied by Christ's spirit. But for those proud and carnal men, a far heavier yoke is ambition itself and carnal concupiscence for a cruel yoke and hard weight of servitude is to be subject to the things of time, to be ambitious of the things of earth, to cling to falling things. Okay, so if you're out there and you're finding the Catholic life hard, we have the answer right here in St. Bernard, a doctor of the church. He says, Christ's yoke is a burden to and absolutely unbearable. Funny he admits that when then we hear the kicker in the rest of the sentence, unless accompanied by Christ's spirit. So if you find these things hard that he just said, humility, abstinence, continence, mortification, it's because you're not filled with Christ's spirit. Now, don't give up on yourself with that. How do the saints say is the number one way to be filled with Christ's spirit? Mental prayer. That's why I'm making this series. I'm not self-promoting this whole thing because um, this is free for everybody. But realize that all the saints say, if you're running low on Christ's spirit, the key is meditation, is mental prayer. It's not just putting your mind to it. It's pausing, hence we have that word pause, that Jesus will give you rest. And I'm, this is so important, I'm going to read you one more time. Christ's yoke is a burden to and absolutely unbearable unless accompanied by Christ's spirit. So how do you increase Christ's spirit, which is the spirit of charity? Mental prayer. Mental prayer is the access to this. So if you find your suffering is at a higher level than your love in life, the number one thing you need to increase is your meditation, your meditation time. 
Okay, let's look at the next sentence here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Find rest for your souls. Here we have that word pause again, but here it's a noun, anapausis. I want to write that above rest for your souls. It's just one word in the Greek, A-N-A-P-A-U-S-I-S, anapausis. And you can Google the etymology of pause to see I'm not making this up. It really is the root word of our English pause and same that we hear in the Romance languages. Anapausis is defined in my dictionary as stopping, ceasing, rest, and resting place. The next sentence, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, BLX71, we already covered that in a whole section on just those two words, but I do want to add one quick thing from Father Lapide, since that was mostly from me last time. Just one more word on this. Father Lapide usually doesn't speak this boldly. Usually he quotes the fathers speaking this boldly, but this is surprising for Father Lapide. He says, Christ was of so great humility and meekness in bearing with the scribes, his disciples and the multitude, in bearing injuries, derision, the scourge, the cross, and death, that even if he had wrought no miracle, he would nevertheless, by such meekness, have proved sufficiently and more than sufficiently that he was the man from heaven and the true prophet sent from God. I verily admire more Christ's meekness than his miracles and his raising the dead. Okay, sometimes you will hear modernists say something like that last sentence. Modernists often say that because they don't believe in Christ's miracles. Father Lapide, probably someone who's going to be canonized, he absolutely 100.0% believed in every miracle of the Old Testament and New Testament. So that should give you pause right there. What an astonishing phrase it is. A man who believed in all Christ's miracles would write, I verily admire more Christ's meekness than his miracles and his raising the dead. And then we have that next sentence, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Easy here, we already covered this from Father Lapides, Christos. Christos, you could put the uh, X, kind of an X that goes below the line. That's the same X that is in Christ, Christos, but it's pronounced in the back of the throat. So it's, I would put uh, in the Latin, if you want to write above easy, as X-R-A-Y-S-T-O-S, where the X is pronounced like a H. So Christos is defined as useful, good, easy, kind, and loving. It might be surprising to you um, that we just found following Jesus is useful, good, easy, kind, and loving. So this should lead you to the question, well, how is this not the health and wealth gospel? Well, this ties into what I said earlier, that, you know, being a sinner, we're all sinners, but I mean like major sinner on earth is actually more complex even on earth before you get to hell. I mean, think about it. If you had two wives or you were a liar all the time, being a liar makes life extremely complex, not very fun. And so really, I would go so far as to say the Christian life here is actually easier than the heathen life, even before you get to heaven or hell. And then the burden is light. Light here is elafros, and not the Cyrillic, but the Latin script, it would be spelled E-L-A-F-R-O-S. Christ's burden is light, elafros. That's defined as light or insignificant. St. John of the Cross, the 16th century Carmelite, he quotes the Psalms probably more than anything else, but the number one line that St. John of the Cross, I've read, uh, I think, 90% of his 400-page works, the one quote he comes back to constantly in the Church Fathers is one from St. Augustine, which is, Love reduces almost to nothing all that is harsh and terrible. Or another translation is, Everything that is harsh and terrible, love reduces almost to nothing at all. 
There's there we have that word insignificant, but that's a quote directly from Saint Saint Augustine. Have you ever asked yourself, could I be a martyr? You know, you read the lives of these martyrs and what they went through, and I look at it and I don't I think oh, I couldn't do it. Okay, so the easy answer is, oh, of course not, Father David, but the grace comes at the moment. Some people even make the mistake to think God dulled the pain nerves of the martyrs. And that that certainly is all through the Roman martyrology. Maybe like, I don't know, 3% of the time, Christ protects the martyrs until they finally lop their heads off. Um, but more often than not, they really do feel the torture. Um, so it's like I was saying earlier, when the suffering maxes out at 10 out of 10, why can't we handle that? It's because the love isn't at 10 out of 10. So get it out of your mind that God usually dulls the pain nerves of the, of the martyrs. No, the grace comes in, the charity reaches the level of suffering. This is what St. Thomas Aquinas says. This isn't, I've never been tortured for Christ. So I, I'm not speaking on my own experience, but St. Thomas Aquinas extrapolated this probably from the Roman martyrology. So um, that's what we need to be praying for right now is, as everything gets hard around us, isn't less suffering, but an increase in charity because charity makes all of this really easy to carry. Father Lapide quotes St. Augustine, This bundle is not the weight of a burdened man, but the wing of one who is about to fly. For birds too have bundles of their feathers. They carry them and are carried. They carry them on the ground. They are carried by them in the sky. If you want to take pity on a bird, especially in the summer, and were to say, the feathers weighed down this miserable little bird and plucked away this burden, it would remain on the ground precisely what you intended to remedy, end quote. Okay, that's kind of an antiquated translation, but this is a pretty astonishing quote from Augustine. What he's saying is, the cross is your wings, not your burden. The cross is your wings to heaven, not your burden of God smiting you on earth. Your cross is your wings. And now for the Ignatian prayer, you know, the last part of Ignatian prayer is resolution. How are you going to serve Christ better? I usually try to avoid that for the most part in guiding you on that because I don't want to have this section become super ethical when it's about union with Christ. But I do believe today's um, a good day to really focus on listening to Christ and your conversation with him wherever you place it. Maybe pick some place in Israel, your bedroom, walking around your favorite neighborhood, a mountain, whatever. Um, and again, I usually don't put the emphasis on this, the last section of discursive mental prayer on resolution. But today, I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus about slowing down. Ask yourself, rather ask Christ in the discussion, what are the burdens you're taking on that you shouldn't? How can you better serve Christ in your vocation instead of yourself? And here's the thing. Ironically, serving Christ more than yourself will give you more rest. That's why we just covered that quote from St. Augustine. Maybe we could go so far as to say, if it's stressing you out, anything besides your current vocation, it's probably not from God. And by current vocation, I mean your vocation. If it's stressing you out, anything besides your vocation, it's probably not from God. So look really practically at this. Ask our Lord, what can I get rid of to increase meditation time? Again, I'm not saying this to increase VLX because I only do this once a week, and I'm, sure, I'm certainly hoping you're meditating more than once a week. So you have to meditate more than the VLX series. But remember what St. Teresa of Avila said. The saints never speak in hyperbole like we modernists do. So when St. Teresa of Avila says something that sounds like hyperbole, we better listen closely. She said, the devil knows it has lost the soul that commits itself to mental prayer. And then St. Alphonsus Liguori, who always uses a little bit more fear than Teresa of Avila, says you can't even avoid mortal sin without mental prayer every day. I can't remember if he says 15 minutes or 30 minutes. But this is necessary to union with Christ. Remember, suffering is going to increase. 
the way to match that is by charity. And we don't just like mind will that, like think about it. That has to get poured into our tank like gasoline. And that happens primarily, according to the saints, with mental prayer. Why? Because it's all about the relationship with Christ. As I explained in the first VLXs, this is not something that goes against traditional Catholicism. It's all the saints, Teresa of Avila, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, Saint Alphonsus Liguori, who say the gas in your tank is mental prayer. They didn't have cars back then, but that's me extrapolating from them. So in other words, this time in meditation is not superfluous to heaven. I know we all have a lot to get ready for whatever is happening in your family, in the world, and everything else, but you have to prioritize mental prayer. It is central because Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he may be asking you to trade in some of your own burdens that don't come from him, namely commitments that don't have anything to do with your vocation, for more time with him and more time with your family. Father Lapide wrote on today's section, there is no rest for the mind, save in humility. It is impossible for the proud to have peace of soul because they always desire great things and are often unable to attain them. Please say an hour, Father, for me that I may practice what I preach. Et benedictio Deum nepotentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descende super vos et maniat semper. Amen.